Hello and welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast at Ryerson University. I'm Chelsea Jones. And I'm Curtis Maloli. A little over 30 years ago, Dr. Frankie Stewart walked into a lecture hall for the first time. The first woman hired to teach mechanical engineering at Ryerson. Dr. Stewart faced a tough crowd of mainly young men. Now, a few decades on, she's an expert in teaching large classes. She's an advocate and a mentor for women in engineering. And she is the winner of this year's teaching award from the Ontario Confederation of University Faculty Associations, also known as OCUFA, which is one of the most prestigious teaching awards in the province. And today her classroom looks a little different. In the winter term, she teaches over 100 students in a movie theater in downtown Toronto. And these days, many more of these students are women. Frankie is sitting with us in studio as we think about what it means to teach large classes. Welcome. So tell us, what is it like to teach in a movie theater? It's definitely a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the The students are further away from you sometimes when they're sitting at the back of the room. So you really have to make a concerted effort to engage with them and bring them into the lecture. Um, but there are pros and cons of being in a lecture theater. There's a huge screen, and when you project all your overheads or any discussions you're having onto the screen, the detail can be seen by the people that are at the back of the room. So you have to make a mean PowerPoint. Yes, Mm -hmm. and you you can actually make it a little bit more populated than normal simply because um, the detail can be seen on that screen. You're, um, you know, you're really well known for doing active learning, hands-on learning. Can you bring those sort of uh, active learning strategies to an environment like that? Absolutely. The one thing I teach, the large class I teach is an engineering graphical communication course for first years. And the one thing I always do is I bring an activity sheet. Now, it's not activity sheets. It's not here six pages that we're going to do through this lecture. It's always one sheet. And there's questions on both sides. So, and then what I, the students get to know after a while, if they come in late, I will put a bunch of these question sheets on either side of the room in a certain location. So as they come in, they just pick it up and they go to their seat. So they will always have it, even if they came in 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late. And I find that that gives everybody something to focus on. And so one of the things that I do is, It's a 50-minute lecture. It's a two-hour lecture. I do not lecture for 50 minutes continually. Mm. People will zone out ever so fast. So I will lecture for 10, 15 minutes max, and then there'll be one question on the uh, activity sheet that we're going to do. I will give them three minutes or five minutes. So you're limiting them, you're focusing them, and they're not going to then start having general side conversations. Gotcha. And the other thing I say to them is, talk to each other. You're doing this question. Talk to each other and discuss the question. Absolutely. Not a problem. And then I take it up and and we go over the answer. And any questions there are, please, I'll entertain all questions. And that's how we progress through the class. So it gives the students a bit of time just to kind of shift in their seats and and kind of say hi to the person that's next to them, whatever, so that they just kind of relax so that then they can start paying attention again. Frankie, when I visited your office um, a couple of days ago, you were sitting at your desk and you were taking apart a light switch when I came in. So a lot of your teaching is also 
tactile. Yes. One of my courses is a fourth year course um, designed for manufacture. And regarding the class size, that's one course that's normally a seminar course. It's a fourth year design course. But I happen to have 56 students in it this year. So, again, considering large classes, that is large. It's a big, big fourth year. It's a big fourth year course. So um, what I do is I troll the Dollaramas (laughs) and I will buy 20 of the light switches, 20 picture frames. Like, really, the people in Dollarama just look at me like, why is she buying 20 picture frames? Um, but I, I buy them so that then I can bring them to class. Usually every week, I'll bring one product to class. I'll hand it out to groups of two, groups of three. And then we will, whatever topic I'm talking about that week, we will assess this product with respect to those areas. And they get to take them apart. Again, they get to kind of um, not have to sit rigidly for 50 minutes at a time. And then they get to discuss between themselves. And sometimes I'll walk around the room. I tend to do it a bit more with the design course because it's a little bit smaller. But even with a large class, if they're working on an activity, just walk around, listen to the conversations, engage for 15, 20 seconds with each group. And then if someone mentions something, I might call everybody's attention and say, "Okay, what about this? And then let's go back to the activity. Hmm. But I usually try and keep those activities to five, seven minutes if I can. Frankie, uh, do you how do you work with TAs in your class? One of my large classes, I co-teach with another instructor, my first year course. And one thing we did last year, well, a couple of things, um, we provided a format for the TAs to get back to us after each assignment. Um, did you think the students did well, did poorly? So then we knew that we had to hit it again in lecture. Um, uh, what did you notice that they were missing? So... Uh, And not only that, but workload. Did you think this assignment was excessive for you to be marking or was it just about right? And so the TAs were able to feed back to us and then that would inform the the future assignments that we'd be having them do. And you believe in mentoring teaching assistants. It's something you really think a lot about. Absolutely, because a lot of them are going to go into academic work. And just like I... With the university um, instruction, you don't necessarily get courses in how to instruct before you're actually thrown in the deep end. So I like to be there for the TAs that if they have questions, I can answer. If they're saying, well, do I present it this way versus the other? Then I can give them suggestions as to why I would recommend one versus the other. There's also an emotional base in your work, and I know that your doctoral research has to do with the uh, emotion involved in teaching. So how do you go forward with all these teaching strategies and also infuse it with this emotional base? Well, it's with respect to emotional uh, capabilities. I Another word for that is soft skills. Anytime we talk to our advisory board, our industrial advisory board for mechanical and industrial engineering, and we say, what are the skills that the students need when they get out there? And believe it or not, more than technical skills, they need soft skills. They need to be able to work with other people. They need to be able to get their message across. They might have a brilliant idea, but if they can't present that idea and get all the concepts across, 
no one's going to buy in. Mm. So I'm a very strong believer in developing soft skills, especially in my design course. For example, um, there's two little projects during the course and then there's a term project for this fourth year design course. I let them choose their groups for the big overarching project, but I will put them in groups for the other two projects and purposely make sure that in all three groups that they're in, they're never with the same people. So you have to start working with other people. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is you're limited to maybe five weeks. So even if it isn't a, a completely positive experience, you know it's going to be coming to an end. You know, and speaking to that, uh, often you hear students talk about issues that come up with group work. Yeah. Uh, and I know I've heard that you do work around um, having students, especially fourth-year students, do self-assessment uh, and do reflection, which is not something we typically associate with STEM-based courses. Is that part of the strategy to to work through group group issues? Definitely. As a, uh, the, There have been times when students come to me and say, I worked in this group with a particular person. They did some of the work, but I felt that my contribution was significantly more than theirs. And I don't feel that it's fair that everybody gets the same mark. And we all know experiences like this where not everybody has participated equally in a project. So what I've developed, and I, it seems to have a, a positive response from the students, is the group will work Especially in the labs, there are specific things that have to be done in order to accomplish the project uh, uh, end goal. So they will work in the lab and they will um, complete these tasks outside of lab. They'll start them in the lab and finish them. But then there's a part of their hand in that's individual. So you will have come up with suggested redesigns for a particular product. But then I will ask each student to critically reflect on the group design and then give me some ideas of their own creations with respect to that uh, design project. If it maybe wasn't um, uh, accepted by the whole group, what, what ideas do they feel should have been pursued? And what differences would they have made if they were designing this by themselves? I love that. That's fantastic. So it's really getting them to think through this, the process that they're going through with their group to develop the things they're developing. Absolutely. And be able to find their own voice in documenting and not only just telling me I would have made this um, four inches long versus three inches long, but why? Hmm. Defend your decision. Hmm. Uh, technically, was that needed to um, support stress and strain on this product? You need to defend your decisions because otherwise you can't sell this when you're out in the workforce. You need to be able to come up with something that uh, states why you had to do what you did. And that factors greatly into their grade then. The group mark may be around 60, 50, 60 percent, but the individual component will be also about 40 to 50%. So Frankie, when you're teaching, who you are at the front of the classroom really matters. Your social location matters. Your background and your personal history influence what's going on in that classroom. So my question is, you know, what's it like to be a woman teaching in large classes in a discipline like engineering? Um, well, it is a different experience to a lot of other um, areas of study at a university, obviously. Um, and particularly in mechanical engineering, 
my discipline is notorious for a lower percentage of females than some of the other disciplines. For example, biomedical engineering, which is offered through electrical, computer and biomedical, I believe has about 50% females in their entering year. Whereas mechanical, historically, hovers around 10%. I think I read an overall stat that said um, 18% of graduates from Canadian engineering programs are female. Exactly. And I don't think there's any, I mean, there's no talk whatsoever of non-binary gender or anything like that. No. No idea of how many transgender graduates there might be or anything like that. Exactly. So it's still a small percentage, even though we're trying to improve um, the participation. But it's just one of those things that... Hopefully, at some point, there'll be this critical mass, which will then flip it. But at the moment, that's not existing. So, yes, I've, uh, I know that I'm in the minority in mechanical engineering and have been for 30-odd years. Um, but I always approach the class that I'm there to teach the material. I love the material. I want you to engage in the material along with me. The fact that I'm female has nothing to do with the the fact that I'm presenting this material. It doesn't factor in. So I think it's also how you present yourself. I'm an engineer, I'm knowledgeable in this area, and I want you to enjoy it as well. That said, though, um, I have a quote here actually from one of your former students, a female oh, yeah? student that taught you, or that you taught, sorry. Okay. Also maybe, you, maybe taught you in some ways too. Uh, she said, Frankie had a profound impact on my sense of self-worth and my belief that I can achieve my goals. Uh, what does that mean when you hear something like that? Well, it's it's um, gratifying to hear that I have had an impact on students. And I do know that I always have my door open. My office, if I'm there, um, and I generally my door is open. And I do find that students, female students, do gravitate to me. And if they have questions, be it um, a, a a question about a course or how to handle the, uh, an issue with the course or what they should do if they apply for internship or any other issues, I do find that they tend to come and see me. I guess that's because maybe I'm just an, a receptive person. Um, I know people always tell me that I listen and give feedback and that's just my nature. Like I'm happy to help you and give you ideas of what to do. So I do think that's just um, myself as a person versus me as um, being a female. Right. Although I think the fact that I'm female means that these girls and w- young women do come to me on a more regular basis. And part of the recognition that you're receiving from Okufa with this teaching award is uh, related to your advocacy for women in the field of engineering. Yes. So along with being someone that perhaps students can connect with one-on-one, you've also done this intentional advocacy. And so what has that been like in terms of your career? Yes, I've been involved in outreach activities at Ryerson since shortly after I arrived. Ryerson was actually one of the first universities to introduce a a summer camp for girls. It was called Discover Engineering back in the late 80s, early 90s. And we used to have summer camps where girls would come and they'd try a little bit of electrical engineering and mechanical engineering and a bit of everything just to introduce the idea. So I'm a very strong believer in STEM uh, advocacy to get girls into such a profession. I really think it's 
fascinating. I I mean, I love mechanical engineering, but I realize that there's some people out there that think they don't like it, but it's probably because it's never been suggested to them mm-hmm. as an option. Um, and also, if they experience it, then they might actually be interested. And I do know that having a female at the front of those outreach activities makes a difference because the young women can see themselves in that profession, that it's not always being introduced by men. Did you have a role model like that when you were an undergrad? Did I have a female instructor? No, I did. I, I had a geology professor, but again, that was one of the natural sciences, not in engineering. So the, the reason I got into engineering was I absolutely love math. I just think math is fantastic. I mean, I'd be happy to sit when a professor was uh, proving a theorem. I'd be happy to sit there for two years or sorry, two, <laughs> two hours oh God. for him to state the theorem and then get to the QED part. Right. Of the theorem. I just Is that the answer? Uh, yes. Um, okay. It's Latin. I don't know what it QED. It stands for there's there. Hence, it's proved. Ah. OK, so I've, I've stated the assumption and now with my derivation, I've proved what that is. QED. That does sound very gratifying. You can tell I've never gotten there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was math that brought me to engineering. Um, I'm the last of a large family. No one went into engineering before me. Um, uh, so I chose engineering because I wanted to apply math. I didn't want to just be a mathematician. And was that journey difficult or were you just kind of, you knew what you wanted to do and you you went forward? I knew that I wanted a math-based um, uh, discipline. And actually, I do think I emigrated here at, at the end of my teens and did a year's high school before I went into university. And I came from uh, girls, all girls, a nuns supervised high school. And I do think being in an all-girls environment, when I suggested engineering, sure, if that's what you want to do. I didn't have the influence of uh, boys in my class that might make me start questioning myself. So it was an all-girls environment. I thought of engineering. There was no one said, no, you can't do that. That's fine. And so I had that confidence in my decision before I actually went into engineering. And yet when I went into engineering, I appreciated then the fact that there were way more boys than there were girls in the classes. So now do you have ways to translate that sort of yes, you can idea into your classroom? Well, again, I think it's just how I present myself and I present the topic. Like if someone has a question about the topic, there's no question that you can't get this. It's just, okay, we need to figure out what it is you're not getting and then help you understand it because there is a way to get there. It's not that it's something you can you will never be able to understand. You have the capability. Yeah. So if you start the semester and you've got this big class in front of you and you know that the minority of them are women, do you have any particular message for them when you step into that class for the first time? I think me being at the front of the classroom is message mm. enough. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I um, in, I'm in control of the classroom and I'm knowledgeable on the material that's being presented, that speaks volumes. Thank you for sharing all this with us today. This is awesome.
You're more than welcome. Thanks for talking to me. Today's episode was recorded at the Allen Slate Radio Institute in Toronto on the Dish with One Spoon territory. Thanks to everyone at RTA Productions, Sarah Van Butt, Tamara Habesh, John Gerardo, and Jillian Pownell. This podcast is funded by the Learning and Teaching Office at Ryerson University. If you have any feedback on today's episode or if you have a teaching idea you want to share, give us a shout, podagogies at ryerson.ca.